Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Hey, Amen. Glad that you're here today. Continuing our thought uh, this month, Cradle, Cross, and Crown. Today's message is called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. I want to get right into that. I want to remind you, and I want to st- please get the word out to all your friends that are part of the church. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve day, and we're doing one combined service. It's going to be packed, but we're going to do one combined service at 10 a.m., Think of our summer hours when we did that. That's kind of what we do for holidays around here. So please get the word out. One service next week. What time? 10 10 a.m. So you guys got an extra hour to sleep in. And the 11 o'clock service, they have to get up. Anyway, uh, anyway, we're glad that you're watching today. And let's get right into the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of the living God. We stand on the word. We trust the word. The word is true. It is God speaking to And through people. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verse 13 in the beginning. This is the story of after Jesus' resurrection, and they find the tomb empty, uh, the disciples are starting to discover that he's alive. And one of the stories that Luke tells is is an eyewitness account of two of the disciples on a walk. Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of the disciples were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned. First I thought when I read that they were in converses, but I guess that wasn't invented yet. It says they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I don't know if my mic is right here. Anyway, look look at verse 16. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand it was him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Uh, I want to ask you today, what kind of conversations are you having in this time of year? Because we've said that this can be among the most uh, difficult times emotionally for people because they're grieving over the past or pining away for things that have come and gone. What kind of conversations are you having with one another as you walk and talk? Now, skip down to verse 24. This is from the message version. Some of our friends went off to the tomb. They're talking to Jesus here. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check out and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, Why can't you simply believe? Everybody say that with me. Simply believe. Say it again. Simply believe. Why can't you simply believe all the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen? That the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the Old Testament scriptures that referred to himself. Very important. I want to weave in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul the Apostle writes, But I fear, 
lest somehow as the serpent deserved Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. Let's pray one more time. Father God, would you open the eyes of our heart? We thank you, Jesus, for your life. Thank you, Lord, for your human experience to identify with us in your life and in your death. That you're raised up the third day and filling us with that resurrection power today. We thank you today that everything that's been dead or sleeping will one day come back to life. We see it coming back to life in Jesus' name. Amen. We talked about Advent last week. It's a traditional thing that churches do to observe as a lead up to Christmas. But the word Advent, we said, means an expectation or arrival. It's about an anticipation, waiting exceedingly for something or waiting excitedly for something to happen or someone to arrive. We gave you Lamentations 3.25 from the message, very powerful. This one verse, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits to the woman who diligently seeks. We said last week, there is a passive kind of waiting where you're just kind of waiting for something to happen and kind of looking around. And some people call that faith. That's not faith, that's, that's, that, that's denial. You're just kind of looking around and hoping, but faith is the substance of what you hope for. Faith is the knowing that God is going to come through. Not, you might not know the way or the timing is going to come through, but you know he's going to come through. As we sang a few moments ago, he's going to make a way because he is the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Can you say amen? amen. We said that uh, there's a passive way of waiting or there's a passionate way of waiting and that the word waiting in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is uh, we told you the story of the war eagles and the weapons of war. If you weren't here last week or you didn't get to watch last week, I encourage you to watch last week. We had probably one of the biggest reactions of the year. People responded to that story and to that message. So please look online. You can get it anytime you want. To, to, to wait upon the Lord, according to Isaiah 40, to wait upon, the, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall, they shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. All those things that were said there. I think I just said it backwards. But anyway, you know what it is. Um, it's to braid. The word wait means to braid yourself or entwine yourself. They that entwine themselves with God, they that wrap themselves in him, become his eagles. Amen. Now, when we spoke about the holidays the last few weeks being difficult for some people who are prone to bouts of depression, I got to thinking about sentimentality. I mean, it really is a time, <clears throat> my wife and I were just on last night about memories we have as kids, just warm memories of how big a deal it was when our grandparents would arrive with the presents, her, her grandparents and my grandparents were from similar age, similar time, similar parts of the country, uh, Pennsylvania and South Jersey. And so they all kind of had the same traditions. She called her grandparents Nana and Pop-Up, and I called my grandparents Nana and Pop-Up, which when we met in high school, we, that was a big deal. Because we were, we were down in Florida, where we were in the land of Meemaw and Peepaw and Papaw and Mamaw and, you know, all these things. So, so we were like, hey, this is, hey, somebody else speaks Pennsylvania. This is cool. 
And so, so anyway, we kind of got along in that, and, and, and it was a big deal. My grandparents, would, when they would arrive, and they, they, they moved to Florida by the time I was an early teenager and lived um, about, you know, 20, 30 minutes from us. They had their own church, their own flow, their own way, but they would show up on Christmas Day. We'd have private kind of mourning with the family, and then my grandparents would show up, and they'd bring, I don't know if you remember those old wicker baskets that made out of straw or made out of, you know, made out of wood. And they'd bring these big wicker baskets full of presents for everybody. And it was a big, huge deal when they would arrive. And we just anticipated, you know, a a lot of those people, I mean, we had aunts and uncles and cousins. My my grandfather was a Methodist pastor and uh, he was the youngest of seven kids in the parent chief side. And my grandmother, his wife, my nana parent chief, she was the youngest of nine. So we had aunts and uncles like crazy. And so some of them would come in and they, uh, most of them didn't have kids of their own for whatever reason. And so there weren't a lot of cousins by the dozens, but there were, there, there, there were aunts and uncles coming in. And all those people are gone now. And so it's easy to kind of get caught up in the sentiment of the time. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of holiday nostalgia, an occasional momentary peek to those Christmases long, long ago in the song, Most Wonderful Time of the Year. But I submit to you, what, when I thought about this, what are we actually looking for? We're not looking to go back. We're not looking to go backwards. We don't, there's nothing back there that, that I want to redo Uh, even if I could. But I submit to you that maybe it's the feeling we had when life was just simpler. That life had, that that when when you're a child, the wonder of a child, that childlike faith Jesus speaks of is not about being childish. It's about being childlike. It's about wonder. It's about simplicity. That if that you knew certain things were going to happen, you could count on those things. Maybe it's just me, but since the turn of the century, and that sounds crazy, uh, it seems to have become a lot more complex. Those of you that are still in that childlike wonder, maybe those of you that are teenagers and stuff, I mean, you don't have any recollection of before the year 2000, but... The Y2K thing going into 9-11, going into the great great global recession of 2008 that was so painful, the worldwide COVID pandemic, some of you, that's all you remember, but it's a lot to navigate spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I did a series years ago called Whatever Happened to Mayberry. We talked about the pace of our lives and just appreciating the simplicity of being grateful for every blessing every day. The Bible says, when you pray, pray this way. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. That's simple. And around our leadership team, we say something all the time. We we say this phrase that we learned years ago, simplify to strengthen. If if, If you get overwhelmed and everything starts to be so complicated, so complex, and you're overthinking everything, there are moments where you just have to simplify There are moments when you get too many clothes in the closet that you haven't worn in three years. I guess it's just me. And you look there and you think, well, someday, 
When somebody, if they're in good shape, one of the, things that, one of the great things that, that, that working with Pastor Benny Hinn taught me was, while stuff is still nice, sow it to somebody else and watch for your harvest. People used to, you know, everywhere I go, because I used to work with Benny Hinn back in the day, some of you newer people don't even know that, or some of you don't even know who he is, but back in the day, uh, we were youth pastors in Orlando Christian Center back in, in the 80s. We were with that ministry from late 1986 until 1990 when we were sent out to start Spirit Life, which is now called Now Church. And uh, everywhere I go in the world, they, people that find that out, they always want to say, was, was he for real? Was that real? The healing and the falling and the this and the that, was it real? Can I just tell you something? Not only was it real, but people get, get upset because Pastor Benny lives a little bit of a, uh, maybe a, a, a blessed lifestyle more than you can handle. They get upset because of his suits and this, this, and the. Let me just tell you something. The most generous person I've ever met in my life is Benny Hinn. I never, I went to his house dozens of times and I never left his house without armloads of blessings of things he wanted to give us. Every time, we had a t- tradition <clears throat> that I loved because back in the 80s, he was buying these nice ties and I was buying uh, Burlington Coat Factory ties. And, uh, you know, where you get them, you know, uh, uh, 10 ties for 100 bucks, you know. And uh, he was buying these nice silk ties from overseas that were probably pretty expensive. But you know what happened? When we'd have pastor's meetings, we'd go to the house sometimes for the holidays or different parties, and we'd go there into his house, and he'd say, uh, at the end of the time, he'd say, guys, I've got two ties laid out across my bed for each one of you. Go. (laughs) And these were were grown men, but you couldn't tell it by, by. We were roller derbying down the hall and jumping onto this bed at the end of this long runway and grabbing ties. And I want that one. No, that one's mine. The generosity is the key to unlock everything else. I don't know how I got off on that subject, but it's important you know that today. Simplify to strengthen. Streamline stuff when it gets too complicated. When you get too much, give some away. That's the point. Do something. And listen, when you make room, you'll be surprised at what God does to bless you back anyway. So today, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. That's what the scripture says. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, the anointed one and his anointing. My friends, we need to get back to simply believing and receiving the promises of God. The promises of God are there for you. When Jesus was crucified, dead and buried, the disciples wanted to shock and they thought their hopes for salvation were gone and buried forever. But they could not see the big picture. They couldn't possibly understand what God was up to. They couldn't understand resurrection power when it didn't seem like he was there. Even though, by the way, he was there, they just couldn't see it was him because he chose to block that view. 
How many times in your life and mine is God up to something, but our view is blocked, we don't see it's him? Until afterward. We see it later when, when, you, when all the puzzle pieces are there and it can make sense to us. Jesus walked with a couple of discouraged, defeated disciples. And he challenged their sad conversation. You're so quiet today. Does, did, did rain dampen your tongue? Man, Pastor Lindsay, were you up here fighting dragons? Man, I'm telling you, it's like pulling a tooth just because there's a little bit of rain. Like Pastor Chris said, we, you didn't get the snow? They couldn't see the big picture. He challenged their sad conversation. And he challenged it not just by saying, why are you guys being, you guys being so negative? That's not what he said. He challenged their conversation when they were saying about Jesus was gone, that he was dead, that they saw him and their hope was dashed. He spoke to them with truth. Truth to hang your hat on. Not legendary fables, but the word of God. He gave them the world's greatest Bible study. By the way, that, that seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it is said to have taken three hours each way. When they were on this walk, they had three hours with Jesus Christ, giving them the most powerful Bible study they'd ever had. He gave them, he is the living word, and he gave them the word from the word. He gave them, the Bible says, he started with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Moses wrote those five. He took, he took them through Moses. He took them through the prophets. He gave them, he, he showed them messianic Jesus revelation before he, he took them on that road right there to Emmaus. He took them on the road to truth. He took them on the road to what would break through their darkness, which is the word of God. And as he spoke the word, the word from the word, the Bible says they started to see it was him. Later on, the Bible says that when they were conversing, they said, wasn't our heart strangely warmed when he spoke that word that was, that was within us? Wasn't our heart, weren't our hearts strangely warmed as he spoke the word? We knew it was him, but we didn't know it was, we didn't see it. Their eyes were enlightened. One of my favorite scriptures, a life scripture for me is in Ephesians 1. It says, it's a prayer of Paul where he says, I'm praying that you would have the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And the word enlightened there in the Greek word is the word photizo, P-H-O-T-I-Z-O, photizo, from which we get the word photograph. I'm praying that your eyes of your heart would begin to see the images. What happens when you're going through a dark place? When you're, you know, a dark room, you go and develop negatives and turn them into photos of what you can see. That's revelation knowledge. 
That's when you're reading the Bible and you read something that you read a thousand times and you got something or nothing from. And all of a sudden it lifts off the page and hits your spirit as a rhema word and God opens your eyes and you see it and you understand and you get something out of it you never got before. That's one of the glories of this time is that our God is alive and that as he speaks, light bulbs go off in your heart and in your mind. And you can begin to take these times that you're going through and turn them into from negatives into positives, from negatives into photos of what God is up to. He said, I'm praying that your eyes would be open, that you would develop the inward pictures of what God has said about you, of what God is doing, that you would know the hope of your calling and the glory of his inheritance in the saints. My friends, you have an inheritance. You're part of his family. Don't shout me down too much. He, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus revealed all the Old Testament scriptures that were about him. Jesus is in the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, not just the New Testament. Jesus is there in foreshadowing. One recent Bible scholar estimated that the Old Testament contained over 2,000, listen, over 2,500 prophetic references to the expected Jewish Messiah. 2,500 different puzzle pieces in the Old Testament that pointed to the Messiah and pointed to the fact that he would suffer and pointed to the fact that he'd be buried and pointed to the fact that he would go into the ground and pointed to the fact that he would rise the third day. The th- the phrase the third day, by the way, is, is throughout Scripture. That there's a third day resurrection that just when it looks like it's hopeless, our God rises up in the midst of it. And the interesting thing of 2,500 prophetic references, Jesus of Nazareth is the only possible person that fulfilled every single prophecy. It can be no other. And the only reason why Jewish people today don't understand that is because they're still blocked. The Bible says they, they can't see what they can't see. But there's coming an unveiling for them as well. Pro- prophecy is looking ahead backwards. Seems kind of an oxymoron. Prophecy is looking ahead backwards. When you look, when you can look back at the prophetic words, prophecy put the puzzle pieces on the table, but no human could have possibly seen how they would come together the way they did. Even, I just give you an example <clears throat> in the time we have. Listen to this. Even where Messiah would come from, we all know that Mary went into labor in Bethlehem, the city of David. But did you know Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says in the Old Testament, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, you have to understand, this is, a, this is a big deal. Jesus just so happened to be born in Bethlehem because of a Roman Empire government census that required people to go to their family hometown. The family was living in the Galilee. 
Days travel away from Jerusalem. Days travel away from Bethlehem. Jerusalem is kind of between. Bethlehem's on the other side, uh, on the south side of Jerusalem. And Galilee's way on the north side, northeast side of Jerusalem, way far away. So many different things had to happen. It's interesting. Egypt. In Egypt, listen, when King Herod decided to have the Jewish boys under two years of age to be killed. Remember the, the wise men came from the east? By the way, it never says three wise men, and it never gives their name. They do that at the Radio City Rockefeller Center Christmas story, but there's no, there's, there's no scripture that says Belshazzar and all these names. These three wise men came. We three kings of Orient are smoking on a rubber cigar. We used to say that one. Anyway, I was good. <clears throat> anyway. sorry. Anyway, that was a, a child regression. Anyway, the, it was a massive amount of wise men that came from the east because it attracted, it wasn't three guys coming in with a couple camels. That we, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. doesn't mean they brought one piece of gold, one piece of frankincense, one piece of myrrh. No. They brought in enough that the king, Herod, said, what's going on? What are these guys doing in town and why didn't they come see me? So he brings them in. He says, why are you here? They said, we came because uh, the stars told us. We saw it in the heavens <clears throat> that there was going to be a king born, the king of the Jews. And he said, and, and we know that Jesus was under the age of two at this point because Herod, we don't know what time. See, a lot of the traditions we see in the manger scene, the shepherds came by watch of night in the beginning. But the Bible doesn't say the timeline of the, of the wise men from the east, but we assume that Jesus was under two years of age because Herod issued the decree, kill all the baby boys under two. So this is a whole thing we got to get between the tradition. We got to get in the word. <clears throat> we got to find what the word says because the word is true. And so what happens is at that point, there's a warning that comes. See, Hosea 11.1 1 says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's Old Testament. Jesus went to Egypt because his family was told in a dream, an angel actually appeared to Joseph, his stepfather, his Mary's husband, his father of his earthly father, and it says in Matthew 2, 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is when the wise men came. It says the wise men departed and they snuck out to get away from Herod themselves. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Understand that right there, this was, a, this was a moment where God says, okay, I want him in Egypt. Well, the Old Testament said that, that, that he would come from Egypt. He would come from Bethlehem, but he'd also come from Egypt. Well, how did that happen? The other part of this is Jesus had to retrace the steps in a way of the journey, the 40-year journey that was from Egypt to the promised land. And so when he was called back and went to Galilee, he did that, he did that journey why? Because he had to identify with everything and fulfill every prophetic word, every prophetic gesture. Are you still with me? Just a couple minutes and I'm done. But listen, this is really important. 
Ironically, Jesus had to do this. He had to take the journey. And, and the other part is Nazareth. So the Bible says he would come from Nazareth. Uh, Matthew 2.23 says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, this is after Egypt, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, how's he going to be from Nazareth, Bethlehem, in Egypt? But Jesus was from all three of those hometowns. Jesus was from all three. Why? Because he had to fulfill every verse, every of 2,500, 2,500 different prophecies in the Old Testament. Jesus had to fulfill. He had to thread that needle of every one to fulfill all righteousness. It made me wonder, what do we know about the child and the youth of Jesus from the word and not from tradition? Because the Bible doesn't give us a lot about his childhood or his youth it doesn't tell us if he, you know, it doesn't tell us if he turned, you know, Kool-Aid into wine. To, 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 uh, that's a joke. Are you awake? Wow, you guys are really out today. I might do this over second service. Wow. It doesn't tell us why Mary knew he, would, he could turn water into wine. I, didn't, I don't know if he turned, you know water into milk so he could have Rice Krispies. I don't know what he did. I'm just telling you, the Bible doesn't tell us all that. We don't need to know all that. But it does tell us some things. It tells us about his birth. It tells us he was born in a barn. I always think it's because God wanted his son to have a stable environment. Thank you. By the way, Weird religious tradition will tell you that they were in that barn because they didn't have any money. That's not what the Word says. The Word says there was no room in the inn. Don't ever forget that. I've heard some people recently talking about, you know, uh, that Jesus, you know, didn't have, he was so poor. He didn't have anything. He was homeless. He wasn't homeless. He had gold, frankincense, and myrrh to get to Egypt and get the journey. Journeys cost money. God provided through the wise Wise men from the East that brought gifts. Think practically. Don't, don't think religiously. Think pragmatically. God cares about every detail. God took care of them, and if he took care of them to get them around, he's going to take care of you too. Amen? He's going to take care of you too. Quit worrying about finance. Quit worrying about money. Understand, his, his birth right there. His parents, listen, you don't think about it this way, but Mary was a teenager, she was a young virgin maiden, and she was probably about 14 to 16 years old. This was a teen pregnancy, and it was a scandal. Why? Because she hadn't known a man yet, but everybody's going to think she did. Yeah, pregnant, yeah, immaculate conception, right. Even Joseph was like, okay, I'm out, until an angel came and said, hey, she's telling you the truth. She will carry Jesus, the Savior of the world, and you will raise him. He said, okay, I'm in. They got married, and he didn't even get to be with his wife till after she was through her uh, pregnancy, delivery, and all the purification rituals. She, he, and this guy, this guy was some guy. We know this thing. We know this from the word. This is in tradition. We know it from the word. Say amen. amen. There are probably whispers about her purity. It wasn't easy, had to be tough. 
He's known, Jesus became known as a carpenter's son. But the, here's the interesting, this is a cool thing for me, is that the word carpenter in the New Testament is the Greek word technon. Technon, T-E-K-N-O-N. And it doesn't literally mean carpenter. It actually means a stonemason or architect. That Joseph wasn't just a guy. We get all these pictures of Jesus making chairs and tables and stuff. And that's, maybe he did that. But he was a designer of houses probably. Joseph was a, like a contractor. He was a stonemason. He was planning the big picture, not just, you know, he might have been whittling a few things here and there, but he wasn't making toothpicks. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was a big picture. Isn't that interesting that Jesus was raised by a, an earthly father who was showing him how to build the big picture, not what we were taught. just want to challenge you a little bit today. <clears throat> And finally, this verse really hits me because we're supposed to follow after Jesus and do what he does. This is the summary of Jesus' childhood and youth. Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. Jesus had to grow he wasn't born walking on water. He was born as a baby, dependent on humans to feed him, change him, clothe him. You and I need to keep that in mind because we need to keep growing too. Jesus had to grow. You need to see yourself in this. You know, uh, I always pick on Chris because he's always up front here. And Chris Farley increased in wisdom and stature. And Chris Farley increased in favor with God and favor with man. That's how you need to see this. Because Jesus did it. This is what you are to do. To see yourself in the scriptures. To know what he has called you to do. He, this is physical stature. Spiritual stature. Emotional stature. Mental maturity. All these things. Jesus had to grow into that. Favor with God, favor with people. That's on your life. Favor. Everybody say favor. favor. You have favor on your life because Jesus grew in favor as well. You have favor. What you, those of you that work in sales or commission, or you have your own businesses, or you're a manager, you're dependent on other people doing something to trade with you for the success of your company and your career. Can I tell you, God has promised you favor on everything you touch. Favor, favor. That doesn't mean everything goes perfect. It means the best possible outcome. The best possible outcome. Yes, amen. Give God praise. You have favor. Finally this. Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. Many of you know this story, but I want to share it again anyway. C.S. Lewis, perhaps best known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia and many other things, was an Oxford medieval literature scholar. He was an atheist. Didn't believe in God. He began searching the Bible to prove that Jesus wasn't Lord that it was all a concoction, that it was all a story. And he, up, he ended up getting saved and becoming a great Christian statesman of the faith. His stories of Narnia, many of them 
are types and shadows of, of the picture of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and his coming kingdom. The lion, Aslan, and lion, witch, in the wardrobe, particularly. <clears throat> but he said this. This is a great quote. I am trying here, C.S. Lewis said toward the end of his life, to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, the Messiah. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who claims to be a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That's not an option for us. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. My friends, C.S. Lewis said, and he's right, people want to compare Jesus with Gandhi or Confucius or this people or the Buddha fat belly himself. They want to compare him with all this other stuff. And say, well, I can believe he lived and he was a good man. C.S. Lewis said we have three options. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Are you feeling overwhelmed this holiday season? So many running around trying to get last minute gifts. Let's get back to the simplicity of Christ. Believing in him, trusting in him, and receiving his promises as our own. My friends, if he's Lord, it's time to bow the knee. It's time to surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Your promises are real. Your promises are true. And we thank you today that we know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for every person here in the sound of my voice, whether it's watching online or in this room. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us that opening moment into our hearts, that you would turn the light on in every area that's been darkened, in every area that's been muddy or fuzzy or that we couldn't see or understand that Jesus is with us, walking with us, sharing his word, his promises with us. Lord, I take authority over the spirit of doubt and unbelief in the name of Jesus. We break the power of it, and we pray that you would open the eyes of anyone this morning and second service and tonight especially tonight, Father, that you would open the eyes of those coming in looking for us to say that Jesus was a good man or give them some fables to believe 
But today and tonight, we look to the Word of God that we can hang our hat on. We look to the living Word, Jesus, to enlighten us, to show us the way forward, to lead us in the paths of your Lordship. And we call upon the people to surrender to the glorious one, the loving one, the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. Quick, just a thought here. story I read years ago about a missionary to New Guinea. He went to a cannibal tribe and they were ready to make, you know, to invite him for breakfast if you know what I mean. They're ready for, to, to, to destroy, to kill this guy. And he was trying, he started trying to translate their language and, 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 and get the Bible where they could understand their language. So he started translating and they start, some people started working with him. And they, in their language, there was well, no word that explained faith. There's no way he couldn't explain belief or faith. And so one day he was really pondering this because he just couldn't get through to them that they needed to really give their lives to the Lord. And he walked in the room and one of the translators that was helping him was leaning back on a chair on two legs. And, and he looked at the guy, he said, what is that you're doing right now? What is that? How are you so confident in these legs that it's going to hold you? And you're leaning back. What's the word for that? And he gave him some kind of word that, uh, that meant leaning to lean one's full weight upon. And he translated that phrase into the word of God and people started getting saved left and right. Today, that whole tribe is no longer cannibals. Today, that tribe is saved and serving God because of one phrase that they learned. And I want to say to you, this surrender we're talking about is not you going through emotion and just praying a prayer. I want you to pray the prayer, but it's to lean your full weight upon him as the Lord of your life. If you're here today, you don't know him as Lord. This is the moment to surrender and say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me my sin. I repent. I've been trying to do it myself. I've been leaning on me. I've had my own trinity, me, myself, and I. Today I need Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. I want to pray for you real quick before we go. Just put your hand up real quick if that's you. If you need the Lord right there. There's someone praying right there. Anybody else I can pray for? This is the moment. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day of salvation. Tonight, I'm believing for dozens to respond. Would you agree with me right now? I want to pray with the person who raised their hand back there. Just say this. Everybody say this at home right now. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I put my full weight of trust and lean upon you for salvation, for healing, and for wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You receive that word today? Give the Lord a great hand clap. Come on. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. 
For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you.